today we're going to come from the time is now. Last night I dealt with the shame, how we create, how shame is created, and how shame carries the feelings of worthlessness. These feelings block us from being authentic in our lives with God, ourselves, and others. Until we can name what has been lost and feel the pain under our survival mass, we will never allow God to free and heal us. We will always struggle with a distorted view of God, and this distortion stops us from grasping who God has designed us to be. So today we're going to go into grief, and I'm break down some stages of grief, and then the task of mourning, and then hopefully we will all allow God to do what he wants to do with us. One of the negatives with grieving is that it has become taboo. It is nothing we really want to deal with. It's nothing that we want to stay in for any length of time. We want to just say, there's pain, okay, I'm over it, and let's keep stepping. And unfortunately, that's just not how it works. We never want to be vulnerable, and we don't even want to be vulnerable when we're alone. Nobody in the room, and I'm still keeping up a front. And I don't even want to be vulnerable with God. And one reason why our lives are in such shambles is because we fail to accurately grieve. We always think just of grieving for a death of a person, and we don't even do that properly, let alone all the other things that need to be grieved. Whenever there is a death of anything, grief must take place. Ecclesiastes 3, 1, and then I'm going to read verses 3 and 4. It says, there is a right time for everything, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to destroy, a time to rebuild, a time to cry, a time to laugh, a time to grieve, and a time to dance. We like to jump to the healings and the rebuilding, the laughter and the dancing, and we never really want to deal with the killing, the destroying, the crying and the grieving. Last night, I hope I gave you guys incentive to kill the lies, to kill the shame. I hope you feel compelled to destroy that old way of being so that God can heal and rebuild us. So today we will cry and grieve and have faith to believe that soon we will laugh and dance. And this time it will be genuine. We will respect our losses and give them a proper burial. We cannot expect anyone to honor our pain if we do not. I am more than aware that none of this feels good, but the payoff is well worth it. And I'm not saying that we will necessarily finish the grieving process today, but I do hope we put a nice dent in it. And with the presence of God, all things are possible. And like so many in the Bible, just a touch from the Almighty healed and freed them immediately. And I believe he can do that today. So there have been various stages of grief named. The stages range from like five to 10. I think I have eight. But I'm going to pull the ones that I think best fit what we're going through. And uh, I've condensed some of them down. And then after we go through the grieving, then I'm gonna give you the tasks of mourning because those are very different than just grief. Now realize with each offense, we began the brief process, the grief process. Unbeknownst to us, we are grieving. We can be at different stages for different events. Remember that these stages don't necessarily have to flow in this way, but usually they flow in order. With the stages, you can visit some more than once and you can jump back and forth. Sometimes you're at stage two, you go back to one, and we cycle through it. The hope is to get to the end, 
because the last one is the last one. <laughs> so we need to try to get to the last one. So the grief process is comprised of the following. The first one is we are in shock and or denial. In essence, we are saying this isn't happening to me. When we were wounded as children, we entered in a state of shock. In essence, we said, I can't believe they just did this. I know what happened, but I cannot admit it emotionally to myself. For all of us, the biggest hurdle is accepting it emotionally. We just do not want to believe it. And so we unconsciously set up as many barriers as possible, making complete acceptance a very slow process. Some of us are still in this stage. To move past this stage, we must announce reality, admit the mess happened, it hurt, and we are still in pain. If you cannot get to the fact that it hurt you, that you are in pain of it right now, then you are still in denial. Psalms 51 and 6 says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. God wants us to get to the truth that is in our inward being. He knows that we are in pain. That it's the secret part of our heart that has been broken and torn up, and he is begging for us to go there and admit the truth of it. He's a little tired of us playing around because he wants so much for us. So it's like, could y'all hurry up with the process so I can get you to the goodness that you need to have? Stage two is we begin to bargain. In essence, we say, I promise I'll be a better person if, and then we fill in the blank. This is when the shame entered into our lives. We took everything that was done to us and made ourselves responsible. We are guilty for others' bad behaviors, and many of us are still bargaining with our parents, many new people, and ourselves that we will be better so we can finally get what was lost so many years ago. You need to be aware when you are bargaining for someone's love. We must realize with all our efforts and all the falsity we created, it still didn't give us what we wanted, which was to be loved and cherished and adored. Find your value so you don't have to bargain your worth anymore. Our value is now in our identity with Christ. We have got to hold on to the value that he gave us. Whenever we get stuck in that worthlessness, we're gonna always be bargaining. We're gonna always be trying to outdo, not even the next person, but trying to outdo ourselves. You're just in stage two. Matthew 10, 29. It says, are not two little sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground without your father's leave, consent, and notice. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, then you are more value than many sparrows. We've got to, like I said last night, find and accept who God says we really are. Like really embrace the value and the worth he has put in us. It is very important for us to feel valuable because a lot of our bad behaviors come from the lack of feeling valuable. We fall into many sins and many compulsions and many addictions because we don't feel valuable. And we can't just say, yeah, I feel valued. We've got to get to the place where truly we have value in just being me. Number three, we express emotions. You finally get to the place where, hey, this feels really bad. An emotional release happens when it dawns on us how dreadful the loss is. Sometimes without warning, there is an uncontrollable urge to express the pain. Our problem is, is that we think tears are a sign of weakness. 
and vulnerability is a negative. In fact, many scriptures show that tears was with many all night long. It is not a sign of weakness or a lack of faith. Expressing these emotions make us feel guilty, but we must embrace the fact that we must express our emotions. We don't want to go back to the bargaining because we feel guilty for feeling and admitting the pain. You've got to get comfortable with expressing the emotion. Because if you don't walk into that comfortableness, you're going to go back to bargaining. Well, okay, I'll suck this up if you can do X, Y, and Z. Psalm 6, 6 through 7. It says, I am worn out with grief. Every night my bed is damp from my weeping. My pillow is soaked with tears. I can hardly see. My eyes are so swollen from the weeping caused by my enemies. We've got to get comfortable with sorrow. We've got to be okay with feeling bad sometimes. We so dishonor what's going on with us because we never want to really be where we're at. So let me fake it, let me hide it, let me cover it. We pick up all these things to get us away from how we're feeling. We shop, we eat, we do all this stuff so that we don't have to feel. You know, I get myself extra busy. I make sure I'm working, you know, all these hours. So then when I get home, I can just fall in the bed and go to sleep. So we do all this stuff of busyness just to hide the fact that I'm in pain. Let's just cry it out. Get it out of our system. Say it hurt. Grovel a little. It's okay. Number four. We are filled with anger and resentment. And we want a little revenge. Why did this happen to me? And then as saints, we know that we should not be revengeful. And we shouldn't be full of resentment and anger. So then we try to bypass that. Sometimes we need to just sit with anger. Sit with the resentment. And let the revenge just sit with us because it's normal. We get uncomfortable with the pain, so we let the anger sustain us for a while. The intensity of these feelings is new and shocking to us. Yet these emotions are a normal part of the grief process. It is not healthy to stay here because this can become very harmful. But the anger and resentment is to be expected. It is to be wrestled with. And it can, by the grace of God, be overcome. When we come to terms that something precious had been taken from us, it is inevitable to go through a stage when we are critical of everything and everyone who is related to the loss or anyone new who we think can perpetrate that same loss again. We spare no one in our scrutiny of events, attempting to understand exactly what happened, why it happened, and who is to blame. If we are honest, we can admit at this stage what we really have thought about God. Why did you do this to me? Or how can you be a God of love and allow these tragedies to occur? Hopefully we have a mature relationship with God and we can confess our anger at others and at God and watch God take us through it. You can't bypass the anger process. If you haven't got angry about some of the stuff that has occurred in your life, you have missed a part of the process. Anger has to happen. And sometimes when we are raised in homes where there's a lot of anger, we shy away from it because we fear we'll lose control just like those that have been in our lives before. But we've got to get comfortable enough to say, God will keep me in my anger. I won't flip out and act a fool. But I need to get all this out of my system. Jeremiah 20 and 18. He says, why was I ever born? For my life has been but trouble and sorrow and shame. If you go back and look at Job, he asked many times, why are you even having me here? Is the point just to torture me? And a lot of people feel that way. I mean, what was the point of my life 
when I have all this stuff going on? I mean, from birth, you have created a lot of chaos for me. I didn't have this happen, that happen. And why? And then I come over and get to the right side, and I, it has not gotten better. And a huge reason why it hasn't gotten better, because just because we got saved doesn't mean we stop grieving. It doesn't mean we don't work the process. But we got saved and we're like, okay, let's just cover everything and act like we happy. At least I'm saved. Ephesians 4, 26 through 27, it says, go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry, but don't you use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. Now, hopefully one day we'll get to the point where we don't go to bed with it. But sometimes we've slept with it. And um, we're going to pray that that happens, that we can really get in the practice of expressing the anger, feeling the intensity of the anger, and then releasing it. One reason why we hold on to it so long is because we keep trying to stifle it. Well, I'm not that angry, I'm not that mad, I'm gonna be okay. I can think of five other people that have much worse than me. So we start bargaining with the, the pain, with the anger, trying to justify it. Well, they were going through such and such. Well, you know, it wasn't that bad. If they could have, it could have looked different. Well, but the reality is what the reality is. I felt what I felt. So I've got to deal with this. Number five, we are depressed and lonely. It is not worth it. I am not worth it. Eventually, there comes a feeling of utter depression and isolation. Remember, shame makes me feel as if I am unique, that I must turn inward. We feel as if God is no longer in his heaven, as if God doesn't care. It is during these days that we feel that no one else has ever grieved as we are grieving. No one can hurt like this because no one is as bad as I. There are four D's of depression. You feel defeated. These occurrences have broken me. Defective, I'm a loser. Deserted, no one loves me, no one cares. If my caregivers didn't, how can anyone else? And you feel deprived. You come to the realization that I have received so much less than I should have. And the big problem with depression is that we don't want to admit we feel these ways about ourselves. So then we go deeper in a hole. I must confess my truth and allow God to heal me. I must admit that these are lies. I am not defeated because he is my defense. I am not defective because I am one in Christ. I am not deserted because he can't leave or forsake me. And I'm not deprived because I got all of heaven and God on my side. But I gotta get to the point where I truly, truly believe that. I can't feel ashamed because I'm here at the moment. I cannot say that I'm not depressed. I am. It's bad. I feel like crap. But then I must speak the truth so that I can come out of it. Psalms 42, verses 6 and then 9 through 11. He says, yet I am standing here depressed and gloomy, but I will meditate upon your kindness to this lovely land. O God, my rock, I cry. Why have you forsaken me? Why must I suffer these attacks from my enemies? Their taunts pierce me like a fatal wound. Again and again they scoff. Where is that God of yours? But, oh, my soul, don't be discouraged. Don't be upset. Expect God to act. For I know that I shall again have plenty of reason to praise him. 
For all that he will do, he is my help. He is my God. We need to take heed to the people of the Bible and do the things that they did. We need to lament, we need to cry, we need to admit the truth. Somehow we have taken on society that hurting and pain and frustrations are something that are very negative when they're just normal. So everything has to be glossed over. And in the church, we have perpetrated it even more. It's like, oh, you can't admit that stuff. You can't say that stuff. You're saved. Aren't you grateful that you're saved? So then I feel guilty that I'm saved, and I am grateful. But foot, I'm in a whole lot of problems right now. You know, me and God, we're trying to find our way to each other again. And when you start going into these very painful areas of your life, the areas that we have, you know, shunned, closed the door and said, I'm never visiting again, when you open that door, a floodgate can come out. And it's shocking. And the stuff you thought you dealt with, you thought that you had gotten over, you had processed, comes all over again and in a whole new way. And it's shocking. And then it's like, do I really want to even entertain that? Do I even want to go there? So then you go back to one and say, oh, that mess never happened. <laughs> or it wasn't that bad. And then I go through the whole process again. We have stifled so much of our growth because we just don't want to process it out. I don't want to go through all of these stages. Or let me just get angry. Anger safe. I don't have to hurt. And that's why it's, it's apparent that you do not get stuck in anger. Because anger will suck you dry. It's a very depleting emotion. It will take all from you. So you want to be angry, fine. But you can't stay there. Be depressed, fine. But you can't stay there either. With any of, you've got to cycle through. We've got to get, you know, good practice on the cycling. Because grief happens so often. So often, I mean, it's like daily deaths that happen. Lost dreams, lost hopes. All that stuff has to be grieved. And let alone all the people that we've lost. We don't even cry over them. We don't grieve that. I mean, we just have sold ourselves so short on what grief could give us. You know, God put everything in a cycle. It's the reason why he said it's a time for all this. So let's cry, let's grieve so we can get to the laughter and the dance and we wonder why all of that seems so false and it's so fleeting. Like happiness, it just <coughs> evades us. Seems like we come close to it and then it just, is gone away. Because none of this work has been done. Number six, we get panicky. This is bad, this is awful, so what am I gonna do now? And a lot of us get stuck at the panic stage. We get panicky because we think of nothing but the loss. We have accepted the reality of our loss. We try to take our minds off it, and that works for a moment, and then it sneaks back on us again. This hinders our effectiveness in anything we are trying to do. We simply cannot concentrate. All sorts of unpleasant thoughts keep coming to us. When something has been terribly important to us for a long, long time, as our false self and the lies have been, we cannot be expected to do anything but be constantly drawn to the lost object and suffer daily as we struggle with the gradually dawning realization that it is gone forever. When we begin to worry about losing our minds, we often panic. Sometimes throughout the process, you're like, I'm about to flip. I'm not gonna get back to sanity. So I get in this emotional panic that all is about to be messed up. 
we become almost paralyzed with fear. It is often the fear of the unknown or the fear of something we do not understand that throws us into this panic. I didn't thought about this stuff, I didn't tried to process this stuff, and I don't understand it. It's still not clicking. It's still not making sense. When we are in this stage, we must open ourselves to new and different relationships. If we stay here long and wallow in our gloom, we prolong the grief process. And to work through grief is very hard work. It needs to be done with others. That's the part we don't want to do. We don't want to bring someone into our grief. We want to say, I can handle it by myself. We've got to bring people into it so that I can start filtering some of this stuff out. All the people you bring in are not people that are going to stay forever. Be comfortable with people leaving. And that's part of our problem. We want everybody we introduce ourselves to share a little bit of ourselves with to never leave. So then we say, oh, people are not trustworthy. People are not going to stick around, so I'm just going to keep everything to myself. And that's where we limit our growth. You got to allow people to circulate through your life. If they leave, they were meant to leave. If they stay, they were meant to stay. Let your life be fluid. Matthew 26 and 36 to 38. For even Christ understood that he needed someone to grieve with him. It says, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he told his disciples, sit down here a while. I go over yonder and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to show grief and distress of mind and was deeply depressed. Then he said to them, my soul is very sad and deeply grieved so that I am almost dying of sorrow. Stay here and keep awake and keep watch with me. But what do we do? We isolate. That's the shame that makes me not want to share my truth. He was God and he was not ashamed to grieve. He wasn't ashamed to show that he had sorrow and that he needed people. He was God. Why do we think we are bigger than God? Oh, I can handle it by myself. He couldn't. I mean, what are we feeding ourselves but a bunch of lies? And then it has been translated that if you need people, you're weak. If you need people, you're a weak person. You should be strong. Stand by yourself. When everything in the Bible goes completely against that, completely against it, there is nothing in the Bible that sustains that. Yet with all of our hope, we hold on to it because of our fear, because we don't want people in, because of the shame. That's a lie. Number seven, we resist returning. I know I need to move, but I'm not sure. Our realization of our loss has been something special, and we feel that other people just do not understand how great the loss was. They are off doing their thing, and we are left alone with our sorrow. Everyone has forgotten about our tragedy. Somebody has to keep the memory of it alive. We must not allow these things to go back to normal. This is what we're trying to do. I'm not going to get back to the place of some normalcy. I'm going to keep this incident, this tragedy, this person I lost, they've got to stay always on my mind. I must continue to nurse the wound. Somebody has to keep the memory of it alive. We must not allow these things to go back to normal. Grieving is painful, 
but not as painful as having to face entirely new decisions every hour. When you're returning back to good living, some of us have never been there, but we know it's new. You're facing new decisions all the time. Am I gonna release this mask? Am I gonna act the way I need to act in order to make sure I get the goodness that God has delivered for me? Or am I gonna go back into the shame? Am I gonna go back to the fear? So constantly, I'm making these decisions. When you become very conscious of your life, you start thinking about everything. Nothing is done just by chance. Now everything has some purpose. Okay, why did I do that? And why am I feeling that? And you've got to get to the place where you can analyze what you're doing. That's the only way you're gonna break all these masks, all this shame. I've got to walk out of this. But I've got to want to walk out of it. We are more comfortable in our grief than a new unpredictable world. So I didn't cycle through all six of them. I know that I didn't felt it all, I didn't kind of cried it all, but now I'm stuck with, do I really want to leave it behind? Do I really want to give up what I've been holding on to, the thing that I think is my identity? Do I want to release all of that stuff? Because that's a lot to give up. This new world's going to be too unpredictable. You're throwing me into what I think are the sharks. We want to stay with the familiar. I think a huge reason why we resist it is because we live in a day of such fast movement. We want everyone to get, in, get on with their lives. We can't grieve long or talk about our pain or trauma long. We want people to speak it, say it, let's move on. And we do it to ourselves because we don't honor our own selves. But then we expect other people to honor us when I don't honor it. Then I'm mad at you for trying to push me along, but that's exactly what I've been doing to myself. Our culture has never respected the grief process. We want to move past our pain very quickly. We have even made funerals celebratory. Oh, let's be happy somebody died. Don't be breaking down what you're crying for. And don't let them, you know, be saved. We expect them to go to heaven. Well, let's just go and agree. Wear white. Why am I wearing white? I'm sad. I want to be sad and depressed and mad that they're gone. And it's a home-going service. No, I'm sad. They didn't left me. Why I got to be happy about that? Then if somebody's too broken, we're like, what's wrong with them? All confused. So at funerals, you see people go and they try to smile, try to tell funny stories. Very rarely people see people just completely broke down. And if they do, then it's like, oh, shh, shh. Because you uncomfortable with some pain. That's not how it's supposed to be. Look in biblical times, they really mourned. I mean, for a long time. Up to six months, there were black bands. The women were black girls to know, I want you to know every day I am grieving. Every day I am in sorrow. Us, mm -mm. after a week or two, get to step. How long you gonna stay there? So if we do that with people, we definitely do it with the wounds of our lives. And when you have been taught that you're supposed to move through it quickly, we can't talk about it, we can't honor nothing, we can't respect the loss, then I just get that in my system. Let's just move. So what am I really returning to? But we need good folks to help us through this process. You gotta take people with you. However, I needed to connect with people before I entered into this stage so that I've worked out my little trust issues since we have so many of them. So I needed to bring people into the stage early on. People that are good people, people that got my back, people who don't mind me talking about my past stuff, 
even if I'm harping on a little too much. But they just sit there and they listen. And they say, we gonna work it out together. People who have a personal interest in my happiness. Who actually care that my life gets better? We often chide other people for not filling the needs we want. But we attract people who we think we deserve. So a lot of times we got crappy people in our life, but it's because I think I deserve crap. If I can change what I think I deserve, if I can get to my value and worth, then I'm attract people that are gonna give me that. Now remember we are the body, we are one. So when one hurts, the other is supposed to hurt too. The reason why we can't live out the scriptures of us being the body of Christ is because the majority of us feel like we're nothing. The majority of us feel like we're worthless, we're useless, and we don't matter. So if I feel that about myself, how can I give you worth and value? It's not that I'm mean and cruel and want to break you. It's that I'm broken and that's all I know how to do. It's what I give to myself is what I have to give to others. Romans 12 and 2. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world and be a new and different person with a fresh newness in all you do and think. Then you will learn from your own experience how his ways will really satisfy you. From your own experience, you're going to learn how he can satisfy you. Philippians 3, 10 and 11, it says, Now I have given up everything else. I have found it to be the only way to really know Christ and to experience the mighty power that brought him back to life again and to find out what it means to suffer and to die with him. So whatever it takes... I will be one who lives in the fresh newness of life of those who are alive from the dead. We've got to kill that old man. We've got to kill all those thoughts and allow God to rebirth us into fresh newness of life. Changing everything we do and think. Think. We've gotten good with the doing. We can fake that a little bit. But the thinking aspect, how fresh and new is your mind? Are all those old thoughts still bombarding everything in your mind? We've got to get to the fresh newness and kill. Like kill, for real kill. Not keep it on life support, but really kill it. Because we're missing out on what God has for us. Number eight, which is the last one. We have acceptance and hope. I can take whatever comes. We wrestle with hope because it feels disloyal to the wounds of the past. In reality, if I do not find acceptance and hope, then I have failed to honor the pain. In this last stage, the dark clouds start to break and rays of light come through. We may be in deep grief from anywhere from a few weeks to many months. We must remember that no two people are the same nor any two grief situations. One situation you may move through in a week or two. Some other ones may take you a few months. Be kind to yourself. Just go through the process. Don't hold yourself to the same process with each new thing you have to grieve. Some will be really emotional and others may not be, but most of us need to press our emotions out of us. 
it's not cool to just act like nothing's wrong. It's not cool for you never to shed a tear and to keep everything bottled up. You've got to let that stuff out. It's a reason why God gave us tears, why he put the glands there, why he put a chemical release when we cry. He did that. It's something in that. When we go through any significant grief experience, we come out of it as different people. Depending upon the way we respond to these events, we are either stronger people than before or weaker, either healthier in spirit or sicker. This is our choice. We can embrace the grief process and let God carry us when we are too weak to walk and watch him give us courage to walk into this new newness of life. Those who are more spiritually mature wrestle more effectively because they are assured that God is with them and he can't leave them. They know they do not have to face the present or the future alone. The scriptures become more real and personal through the process. We have lost a lot and the pain has been overwhelming at times. But as there is a time to cry and grieve, there is a time to laugh and dance. So now we're gonna move to the four tasks of mourning. This coincides with the grief. So while we're grieving, we're also mourning. Task number one is to accept the reality of the loss. Number two, to experience the pain of the grief. Number three, to adjust to an environment in which you live in reality. Not visited on occasion, but really live in reality. You gotta stop letting yourself go into denial. And number four, to withdraw emotional energy from hiding and reinvest it in living. We have put so much energy into hiding who we really are, into hiding our pain, that we must now take all that energy that we used in that false way of being, with all those masks, it's hard to keep up all that stuff. We put a lot of work into that. We must now put that much work into being authentic and new and courageous. Just flip it. Think about how hard you work to be fake. All, I mean, we, we go through a lot. We make sure we say the right thing, we look the right way. All that's work. Hiding feelings. It's hard to muffle all that stuff down sometimes. Knowing I want to cry and I'm trying to smile. Let's put the work on the other side. So you go back to Philippians 3 and 10. He says, I've given up everything. Everything. All this fake stuff, all this false stuff, all of the lies. I've given it all up to really know Christ. It's the only way I'm going to get to know him. I cannot meet Jesus in falsehood. I cannot meet him in this fake way of being. So will you give up everything to meet him? Do you think he's worth meeting? And to experience the mighty power that brought him back to life again. We've got to believe that God is going to give us a new life. The same power that put breath back into his body. That made his lungs start to function and his kidneys start to work. All that. Think about Lazarus. A whole new life. I mean, he made everything work again. Like he said, redeeming time. We can get
need some time back. We can have a better life than we ever thought possible. Like real good life. But we've got to give everything up to meet him. And we struggle with that. We hold on to our mess. This is why getting to eight, the acceptance and the hope, half of us ain't got there yet. Because I don't want to do all that. I don't want to give it all up. I don't want to say God can be my all, that he really can give me good life. Like, it's possible for me to live good. Because that's scary, because we think that's a lie. And we don't want to pump ourselves up on another disappointment, because we think God's going to disappoint us. He says, so whatever it takes, I will be one who lives in this fresh newness of life for those who are alive from the dead. I mean, what a testimony is that? That we could sometime soon shout that I'm alive? That I was dead, but now I'm alive? That's a heck of a testimony. That's way better than I kept the victory all week. I mean, I was dead. Amazing. Okay, so the last process, I've added this part in. <laughs> to fully move through the grief process is for us to have an exchange with God. I must give him my grief and mourning in exchange for his peace and joy. The book says I am that I am, which means I am what, how, when, and where you need me to be. So in the process, I'm going to define what was lost, what I needed, and ask God to be that. What was lost, what I needed, and then I'm going to ask God to be that. I have to not be afraid to go into those old wounds and actually feel those feelings and ask God to step in right there. I may need to give him my abandonment when I was eight and waiting for my dad to show up. So I asked God to come in and meet me at the house in the window and let him prove to me that I am worthy and I deserve to be picked up. Each incident. When you were told you would never be anything, you have to ask God to go and to speak the truth to you that you are something. Literally envision it. Take yourself to the room where it happened until God to step in right there. Then he'll redeem the time. Remove the wound and actually really heal you because those lies will no longer be true. When you were being abused, you asked God to enter into that space and cover you from the blows. Envision like the men that were in the furnace. He covered them so that the fire never touched them. So you need him to put that protection around you and actually see him taking the blows for you. When they said you have to be perfect, you ask God to come in and let you know you have done your best and that's enough. So for each experience, we do an exchange. This is how we get to that very personal, intimate relationship with God. When we say he can be our all in all, we really ask him to be that. But I've got to be willing to go into that area. I've got to be willing to see it feel it, and then watch him 
change the experience. It's going to hurt while you do it. But you're going to kill that old stuff, and you're going to be new. And I have one last scripture. Psalms 30, 1 through 5. And this is hopefully what we're going to be able to scream in the very near future. He says, I give you all the credit, God. You got me out of that mess. You didn't let my foes gloat. God, my God, I yelled for help, and you put me together. God, you pulled me out of the grave, gave me another chance at life when I was down and out. All you saints, sing your hearts out to God. Thank him to his face. We've got to get to his face and thank him for bringing us back to life. He gets angry once in a while, but across a lifetime, there is only love. The nights of crying your eyes out give way to days of laughter. But we got to get to the nights where we cry our eyes out and do the exchange. Psalms 30, 11 through 12, it says, you did it. You changed wild lament into a whirling dancing. You ripped off my black mourning band and decked me with wildflowers. I'm about to burst with song. I can't keep quiet about you, God. My God, I can't thank you enough. That's where we gotta get to. That's the realness we've got to know. And to let him give us the laughter and the dancing and the song so that we can say we are alive and we are new. This new birth thing is real. He is waiting for us to surrender all our stuff so that he can transform us.